0: You are listening to a rebroadcast of an earlier version of The Michelle Miao Show.
1: Should wait to come out, that you should uh, try to gain rank or status before you do that. That's a bunch of bull.
0: It's a new day in the music industry, and I can reach my fans.
2: We're getting that.
0: I've caused harm to the political agenda and which I'm actually happy for I would say probably the best message to them is that they're on the wrong side of history
1: whether you're lesbian gay bi transgender or whatever love is love shout it out to the world
0: the Michelle meow show your a through Z covering the LGBT LMNOP and everyone in between show and now here's your host Michelle meow
3: Welcome! Thank you so much for joining us here on this fine hump day, July 15th. I'm Michelle Meow, your host, and our producer Jax is in studio. What's going on, Jax? What's going on? Happy hump day. Happy hump day. You know, I'm going to change it from hump day to hashtag WCW, because I learned something the other day. I'm kind of late to this game. Wait, you just learned that? Yeah. I mean, I had heard of it before, but I didn't really know... I didn't know what it stood for, but I would just see pictures of good-looking women. And then <laughs> I finally figured out, you know, what it actually stands for, which is, what is it?
2: Woman Crush Wednesday.
3: <laughs> Woman Crush Wednesday. And I found out the the true meaning of it when I tuned in. I finally got caught up with a bunch of my favorite shows, you know, during this break. Um, but I, I caught up and they did this, like three-way ha- uh, hashtag WCW with Mariska Hardigay um, and uh, the uh, SVU show plus the Chicago and Fire show and and then some other show that yes, uh, yes, yes, some I other girls that. were involved in. Yeah, but I'm a hu- I have a huge crush on Mariska Hardigay. Me, I think me too. she's beautiful.
2: <laughs> I grew up watching Law & Order SVU with my mom. Is that weird? <laughs> with your mom? Yeah, um, that was our show we'd watch together.
3: You know, I, I don't think that's weird. I actually think that's a great idea because it probably scared the living crap, yeah. you know, out of you. I don't trust anyone. I'm afraid of the dark. It's great. Do you walk around with pepper
2: spray? I do, actually.
3: Yeah. But then but then you did the same thing I did, which was develop a crush on the star. <laughs>
2: yes. Little did I know. Now, looking back, I'm like, yes, I understand why I liked her so much. Right. Exactly. No,
3: I love that show, too. Um, I mean, I like a lot of crime shows, uh. you know, and, and it, it kind of, I, I like, I like the, you know, you have to figure it out. So right now, I just started back up on True Detective, HBO.
2: I have heard great things, but I have not watched it. You didn't see season one? I have not seen With any episodes. Matthew McConaughey? Yeah, no, I don't like him.
3: Oh, he was so good in it. And uh, Woody, what's his last name? What,
2: uh, you know... Harrelson? Harrison,
3: Harrison, Harrison, is that it? I, Har- I don't, something like I thought. It, anyway, the guy in Indecent Proposal, and I know that movie because of Demi Moore, but. Um, <laughs> Loyal fan. Such a lesbian. Uh, But anyway, season one was really cool. Season two stars Vince Vaughn and also uh, Colin Farrell, who, you know, is absolutely wonderful. He's a great actor, but also an advocate for LGBTQ rights. I didn't know that. Yeah, he has a gay brother um, and they're from Ireland. And so he was a huge uh, advocate for marriage equality in Ireland before it passed by popular vote and then also now they've included a female cast member um the chick from the notebook rachel mcadams
2: <laughs> the chick <laughs> from the
3: notebook <laughs> now you're kind of catching my drift here i'd like romantic movies and crime dramas anyway we're not yet to thursday so we should get on with the program we've got important things to cover the show today is brought to you by Pacific Fertility Center. When life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. Visit Pacific Fertility Center.com. Our guest today is a good friend of ours here on the show. He's been on the show before, uh, but he's an incredible voice. He's a human rights activist and has been one through the the, the 70s, 80s, 90s, um, and also has worked tirelessly to fight for full equal rights on a federal level uh, when it comes to employment. And, you know, I think that that's an important topic that we must discuss. Although we've got marriage equality today, I think that as easy as as it is for us to go and get a marriage license It will be that much easier uh, still to fire us as an LGBTQI people. We don't have full federal protections uh, for the community just yet. So let's welcome Jim Patterson to the show. Jim, welcome.
4: It's great to be back with you, Michelle.
3: Yes, I, uh, I love having you on. You're just a wealth of knowledge. You've got a great experience and, and an incredible story. So, you know, it is the 20th, 25th anniversary of the Americans with Disabilities Act, uh, which you worked hard to pass. And so I don't know if there's any commemoration or anything that, you know, is big as that's happening for this 25th anniversary, uh, but I wanted to check in with you.
4: Well, I was able-bodied when I was working with on uh, the Americans with Disabilities Act and getting that passed. The people who worked the hardest were the people who had the disabilities. the people who were in the wheelchairs and in the crutches and who had other disabilities. It was much, much better. the work that they did was much, much greater and much, much heavier burden on them than than the work that I did because I was able-bodied. I didn't ha- I didn't have uh, the challenges that they had. But I learned a tremendous amount from a lot of those people, and uh, they just, uh, they're just with me still. Uh, their determination and uh, their uh, uh, sacrifice and suffering, uh, and uh, I just uh, learned so much from them uh, that it really, uh, was just really a great time in my life
3: mm-hmm. uh, to be
4: associated with them and to work with them.
3: Mm-hmm. Now it's it, when when we apply, you know, the uh, Americans with Disabilities Act to the rest of the country. I had just mentioned, you know, the LGBTQ people can still be discriminated against, uh, especially in the workplace. Now, on top of that, you know, disabled LGBTQ people can um, are actually still discriminated against. I mean, uh, you know, what are your feelings or thoughts uh, uh, regarding uh,
4: much more subtle? Uh, it's much more subtle if uh, if you have the protection like. Uh, the disabled do, Uh, so it's a bit more subtle, Mm -hmm. Uh, but uh, the hardest work for the ADA was getting uh, AIDS uh, uh, included uh, as a disability um, uh, under the law, and the association with AIDS, that was, uh, to me, that was the most oppressive thing of all. Uh, If someone, if if a gay man was uh, HIV-negative, Right. Uh, it could be assumed that he was going to be uh, HIV positive, and it could discriminating against them based on the fact that, so, well, they associate with uh, people who have HIV, so we don't want them either. Uh, so it was just a very oppressive environment out there, uh, and uh, so that, for me, was one of the most important uh, aspects of the HIV, working on the association uh, right. with the people who uh, had uh, HIV
3: but there's still more work to be done, uh, even though we've got, you know, the act passed it, it's its 25th anniversary, and it, we still there's
4: see... Amount of work. Right,
3: we still see uh, the, because discrimination. Because there's
4: very little leadership uh, at a national level for people with disabilities. Uh, the, the leadership just isn't there. Uh, they've lost the, uh, the fight, they've lost the ability, they've lost the uh, courage uh, that the people that I worked with back in the 80s had uh they have a system now set up, uh, their organizations and there is in, there is employment. Uh, but they're still gross, uh gross. Mm-hmm. Uh, injustices to people with disabilities, uh, and uh, no one really is fighting uh, for that. Uh, look at the, uh, here in California, uh, the um, uh, 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 Individuals uh, with Disabilities uh, uh, Education Act uh, is not being adequately formed, so disabled children are being uh, given the uh, adequate level of education they need uh, in order to uh, become a productive adult. Uh, so there's uh, just gross, gross uh, injustices going on that uh, people just the disability community needs to be working on. Right. Uh, and uh, the fighters just aren't there
3: that I'm seeing. That's a, a you know interesting statement, especially we're gearing up for a, a presidential campaign. Some, we're going to vote for somebody, if, you know, as president in 2016. And you just mentioned lack of leadership. If we go there, if we look at some of these presidential candidates, do we have any hope?
4: Uh, as far as disabilities, gentlemen, uh, in the 1980s, there was, uh, there was consensus and there was cooperation between Republicans and Democrats. Uh, Tom Harkin on the Democratic side, uh, Charles Grassley on the Republican side, uh, Bob Dole, lots and lots of Republicans, and including uh, President George H.W. Bush, who uh, signed it and uh, supported it. There was just tremendous cooperation there. There was resistance to maybe a biggest like Jesse Helms, uh, but for the most part, there was a lot of cooperation between the parties, uh, but that's gone now. Uh, most Republicans don't support the ABA anymore or uh, they're very, uh, they're silent on it. Um, uh, they're not supporting, for instance, uh, the UN Treaties for the Disabled. Uh, you know, they've got, uh, uh, their opposition to that it doesn't make sense to me. Uh, I've heard their issues, I've heard their arguments against it, but it just doesn't make any sense.
3: hmm Michelle Miao, we're speaking with Jim Patterson, who's a uh, human rights activist, and he's been involved in uh, what we're talking about today, the Americans with Disabilities Act of 1990. Um, It You know, it's now the 25th anniversary. And so we're covering that. You mentioned, you know, those living with HIV/AIDS and being a part of the uh, ADA and being covered through that. Uh, But yet they still, you know, I think that uh, uh, the community still faces discrimination, but also criticism, also criticism in which, you know, people say, um, you know, now HIV/AIDS patients are living longer, um, you know, kind of, what are your thoughts about that type of criticism, that if they're living longer, they should be able to get back on their feet and, you know, get a job and, and, and all that, you know, uh, type of statements.
4: I think it's a gross generalization. Some people can, some people can't. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, it's a fight with disabilities. I know, I know some people with, uh, uh, who can not get, some people who are bedridden that do uh, a tremendous amount of work and have a great uh, mental uh, the ability mental ability to do that whereas other people just don't have that uh, just don't have that uh, uh, capacity or that will to do that uh, so it's an indi- it has to be taken on an individual case if the person is uh, if the person uh, feels able to do the work and is able to go back into the workplace then the person doesn't care to do that most the person says, I, "I simply can't do that." Then I think you have to obey the person. You have to uh, comply with the person's wishes uh, because the person knows uh, what their mental status is. They know what their health is. They know what their stress levels are. And uh, let's face it, working is stressful, and uh, working can uh, increase uh, one's uh, uh, risk at uh, uh, becoming uh, uh, sicker uh, with a condition like AIDS or uh, other uh, uh, compromised uh, health problems.
3: Mm-hmm. Now so you s-
4: ask me on a case by case basis, you just simply can't make exactly. it
3: you're right. You're right. No, and, and uh, I wanted to get your thoughts because I had seen, you know, a documentary that was out this year that documented those, you know, uh, living with HIV/AIDS and how they're still discriminated against, despite you know popular belief that you know p- people are living longer and they're they're strong. They're still strong. But I wanted to ask you, you know, this uh, being involved with the ADA Act and um, you know fighting for protections of people in the workplace. I mean, you see the passage of Americans. With disabilities act as a uh, maybe a blueprint for human rights worldwide. Uh, and why do you see that?
4: Uh, I do see that because that uh, so much tremendous effort went into the APA, and it was by people who had spent their lives being discriminated against because they were disabled, uh, and many of them were uh, tremendously um, uh, capable people, uh, even the millionaires. Uh, I knew one man uh, who was a millionaire. He was the heir to the Walgreen fortune, uh, the Walgreen uh, fortune, and uh, he was in a wheelchair. Uh, and that his father would not uh, let him uh, have a corporate role in the business uh, because he didn't think he was uh, up to the job because he was in a wheelchair. And so, uh, you know, it happened uh, in cases like that all the time. And uh, this uh, gentleman was very prominent in the ADA. Uh, He had uh, transportation and uh, attendance to get him from place to place because he was wealthy. Uh, But he went out uh, one time in D.C. on a street corner, uh, and he had in his pocket an uh, envelope with $1,000 cash in it, and he was trying to hail a taxi, and he was going to give that money to any taxi driver. He wasn't going to take the cab. He was just going to give the money to any taxi driver who would stop for it, uh, to give him, uh, with, with the intent of giving him a ride, you know, helping him with his wheelchair, getting the end the cab, just going to give him the money and say, thank you for stopping, But nobody stop. And because of that, you know, we have this, uh, the paratransit services in the cities around the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, nobody would stop. Uh, uh, in, some, in some foreign countries I lived in, there was a different attitude. Uh, drivers, for instance, and I found in Mexico City, drivers would stop. I considered it an honor uh, to stop and help someone in a wheelchair. But you don't find that. I never found that in the United States.
3: Right, right, and uh, even here in the Bay Area, you know, with the popularity of a service called Uber, they do not offer you know, any uh, wheelchair service or, or accessibility, which is interesting. And they
4: say, and they say they're a new model. They're, they're they're a new concept. They're a new model, and existing laws don't apply to them. Right, uh, and that's a, that's a, that's insane. Our uh, laws apply to every business. And uh, as a city, uh, as a country, we cannot allow these people to say we're a different model. And so we don't have to comply with the uh, disability law. We don't have to comply with the uh, anti-discrimination laws. We don't have to comply with this. We don't have to comply with that. That's ridiculous. Of course these people have to comply.
3: Of course. You're they're right. They're
4: going to voluntarily do it. They're going to have to, they're going to voluntarily do it. Right, uh, uh, But, uh, but uh, uh, city, uh, city officials, state officials, and uh, federal officials just have to insist, yes, you are going to comply with it. Yeah. if these people get by with it, other people are get by with it. Right. And then the law is worthless.
3: And I, and I want to get back to that. We're going to take a quick break. But when we come back, I want to continue our conversation about uh, just every, your work and being an advocate for human rights. Don't go away. The Michelle Miao Show continues right after this. Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit pacificfertilitycenter.com. This is a true story about two best friends who fell in love and moved across the country to the city by the bay. After many years of dating, Jen and Jacqueline are now planning their dream wedding. It's a big moment in everyone's life when you say, I do, especially when you can make choices for your authentic life and your loved ones too. Congratulations, Jen and Jacqueline. Live your authentic life. A special message brought to you by Weatherford BMW.
5: You're listening to the Progressive Voices channel on TuneIn. Please help us grow. Like us on Facebook and share us with your friends. Find out more at Facebook.com slash Progressive Voices.
0: And now, back to the Michelle Miao Show.
3: Welcome back. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Michelle Meow, your host. Our guest on the phone is Jim Patterson, who's a human rights advocate, and he grew up in the segregated South during the 60s and 70s and has become one of the uh, most tireless fighters for the dignity of people everywhere. Um, Jim, so we we were speaking about the uh, ADA, or Americans with Disabilities, um... Act the back in the nineteen ninety that had just passed, but I want to move on to NDAC. Um the Employment Non Discrimination Act, which we don't. We don't have. And it's been this bill that, you know, has been uh, introduced for so long. And it's crazy to know that over half of this country or half the states in this country, in those those states, it's legal to fire an LGBTQI employee. Uh, I mean, what do we need to do to get this, you know, passed? As as much progress as we've made, especially in the marriage equality front. Uh,
4: I have a piece coming up uh, this afternoon at 3 Pacific. On a website called The Hill uh, it's the Congress blog, uh, and uh, the point of uh, this uh, piece that I have coming up is that uh, 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 that uh, Chief Just, uh, Associate Justice uh, Kennedy uh, was talking about uh, the dignity of marriage, the dignity of marriage equality. And I talked from that. Uh, yes, there is dignity in marriage, and that dignity in having our marriages uh, recognized around the country. But there's also dignity in work. There's dignity, and the, there needs to be dignity in the workplace. There needs to be passage of gender, so that people aren't subject to discrimination in the workplace, because families need jobs to support themselves and to support their children. And we're not. We can Now that we got marriage, uh, uh, we have to have uh, a dignified workplace, and we have to have protections in the workplace. Uh, the two go together. Uh, for instance, Ronald Reagan said, "Work and my family go together. Work and a uh, man with the king, uh, work and family go together." Uh, so you can find such diverse people. Uh, recognizing the dignity of work and the dignity of uh, marriage, the dignity of family, the dignity of work, the dignity of family. You can find such diverse people talking about this. And I think it was it was important to me to to um, uh, 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 acknowledge that diversity uh, in this piece because uh, we have a uh, Republican Congress, uh, and uh, we want to show them that uh, their uh, hero, uh, Reagan, uh, was strongly in favor of dignity of work, uh, and in order to have dignity of work, then we have to eliminate discrimination. And so, in the spirit of uh, Ronald Reagan and uh, Dr. King, uh, the uh, Democrats and Congress and Republicans should work together uh, to uh, pass MDA and bring dignity to the workplace so that we don't have discrimination.
3: Now, when you were, you know, doing a whole lot of fighting, especially uh, in the you know 70s, 80s, and 90s, if you think about it, the companies, the major companies weren't there. They didn't have much of a presence. And now, you know, in, 20, in 2014, 2015, today, we've got a lot of major big companies who are fighting for equal rights. Uh, do you think right. that there could be, you know, presence there? Is, uh, you, people can do some activism within their own companies?
4: Uh, right. Uh, the reason companies are involved in uh, in LGBT community issues and uh, events is because of their employee associations uh the employees need to be free uh of uh, uh, discrimination in the workplace so they can form associations uh employee associations and then they can talk with the management about their issues uh such as inda nationally and uh, participation in community events like pride events uh, AIDS walk uh, breast cancer and other issues uh stockholders also play an important role in this uh, if you have stocking company like uh, a company that doesn't have a great reputation on LGBT issues, uh, then you uh, correspond to the CEO as a, as a longtime stockholder. I want the corporation uh, to be more productive uh, by um, uh, not discriminating against LGBT employees and uh, having a better uh, LGBT image uh, for other uh, corporations. Uh, so it works uh, internally through employees, uh, and also uh, through uh, the stockholders in the company, and uh, the customers at the company. So there's three uh, three ways to go at getting a company to be more LGBT-friendly, and also
3: you know corporations have influence on politicians and lawmakers, Absolutely and, and, and can. lawmakers.
4: And you can get you can get the change corporately much quicker. Than you can with the government. You see, the government, the corporation, lots of corporations have non-discrimination policies. Lots of cities have non-discrimination policies. It's Washington that doesn't have the national policy that protects everybody from the discrimination. So that's where the change is very slow. But you can get it very quickly through the corporation.
3: Right. And I, I like to see, you know, corporations put some pressure on the politicians and lawmakers themselves. Uh, it, you know, for example, what happened in Indiana and Mike Pence, Governor Mike Pence and, you know, some companies like Salesforce or Apple, because essentially I, I think that it's the lawmakers, you know, who are are just kind of proposing these religious freedom bills. So I wanted to get your thoughts on that. You know, you've got people citing religious beliefs as a, w- as a uh, way to discriminate. Um, how does that make you feel being, a, you you know, a voice for human equal rights and fighting for equal rights for so long.
4: Oh, wow. Um, uh, that is, uh, uh, this, uh, this religious freedom issue is, uh, is, is very tough because uh, uh, I am a Christian. I am a, a church girl. I was at uh, church uh, last Sunday uh, at the uh, MCC Founders Church uh, in Los Angeles uh the week uh, a couple of weeks before that at n c c uh new york uh i was raised episcopalian but i enjoy uh uh supporting the n c c church because it's done such great work for so long uh it's uh it's ministers are uh, uh, speaking out about religious freedom uh and uh that it, it, religious freedom is inclusive not exclusive. uh we have the right to uh, practice our religion if our religion is uh uh, uh, uh a god that is uh, that loves everyone uh, then that's religious freedom uh and uh, i don't see how people who i don't see how people can exclude uh lgBT uh people as, as a, uh, a religious cause or see or see the community uh, as anti-religion or anti-family you know we're fighting for family we're fighting for marriage uh well the um, uh, MCC Church has been fighting Uh, to provide a place uh, to provide uh, religious services for uh, LGBT people cast from other denominations uh, since the 1960s. So uh, we're not an anti-religious community. Uh, We do have people of faith who are LGBT, and uh, we need to speak out more about that. Uh, You're right. The fact that that we are a part of uh, the, the Christian faith of this country. Always have been, uh, and we want to be stronger. We want to be stronger and more inclusive in that. Uh, and I think uh, that South Carolina is the great place to start with that. Now that South Carolina, or South Carolinians, are in the same mind uh, to take down the Confederate battle flag uh, and to embrace uh, a new uh, era, so to speak. Maybe. And,
3: and that leads uh, me to my last question for you. I. I feel like you'd be a great person to answer this. I mean, because you've been involved in, you know, the, you were part of the civil rights uh, movement and then the gay liberation movement, and also the marriage equality movement. You've been a part of a lot of movements, and when it comes to equal rights here in this country, but you know, what do you think is the next big movement that we need to be fighting for?
4: I think workplace equality uh, is going to be is going to be the issue uh, because uh, people are looking people are looking at religious ways. Uh, to try to stop that, uh, we can't have uh, we can't have India because uh, it would uh, violate somebody's religion. Uh, uh, that's uh, that's a false argument uh, or a warped argument. I guess I I, I don't understand how that's possible. Uh, how 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 does uh, how does my being a gay worker in your company uh, affect your religion or uh, diminish your religion? I don't see how that's possible. Uh I don't understand how people get of that mindset Now I can understand you can you you can you can force that issue uh if you if you are of a mind to do that you can force any issue if you are of the mind to want to cause trouble that way but I don't believe Christians would do that. I don't believe you know Christian people would do that political people would do that political people with an anti gay agenda would do that, but I don't believe Christians would do that. Uh, uh, A true Christian would do that. Uh, uh, So I think that's that's a big issue. Uh, That's a big issue coming up. Uh, And then I think you know uh, enforcing uh, the marriage equality law is going to be a big issue. That's not going to go away You just there's resistance to that uh, around the country, and people are planning. And some of the presidential candidates are planning fights for that. Uh, and some of these uh, anti-LGBT so-called religious websites are putting out action plans for churches uh, on how not to uh, participate in this and communities uh, on how to uh, not uh, uh, perform these marriages in such a way that they can get around uh, the Supreme Court decision. Uh, And it's going to be that way within the two when that's passed. So uh, we just uh, have to continue Uh, to fight and not give up, uh, fight and uh, continue to fight, um, because uh, that's that's the nature of the country. Uh, Mm -hmm. I've gone to many commemorative civil rights events going back, uh, commemorating the events 50 years ago. Uh, And I look and talk with those veterans who were there 50 years ago, and they tell me it's still a fight for us. Uh, Despite all these laws they have, it's still a fight for us. And so, you know, it's that way. It's that way in this country because you have such a history of racism and such a history of homophobia uh, that it's really a lifelong struggle. Uh, you know, there'll be victories on the way where we can celebrate and march and uh, hold hands together and uh, and uh, party. Uh, but uh, then you have to go back to the hard work of fighting.
3: Exactly. It almost seems like the... The, you know the statement we we should make today is that we should never stop fighting, uh, especially for freedom and equal rights. Jim thank you so much for joining us here on the program. I'd love hearing from you.
4: Thank you Michelle. Uh, you know July 19 is my anniversary with Jesse Hell. July it was, uh, July it was July 19 1994. Uh, when he tried to have me fired from the government. That's right. I hope I hope you'll have me on your program on July 19 or around that time so I can talk about that. One we will
3: time. we will have you back. You're welcome anytime. Thank you so much, Thank Jim. You.
4: Thank you so much. Goodbye. Jim Goodbye Patterson,
3: human rights activist. For more information, visit jimpatterson.onlinepresskit247.com. The Michelle Meow show continues right after this.
0: And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show.
3: Welcome back. Thank you so much for joining us here on this special Hump Day, July 15th. I'm Michelle Meow, your host. Jax, our producer, is in studio. Our next guest is the director of Seed Money, which is a documentary that uh, was here during Frameline. I can't believe I missed this because... Um, I'm really excited for it, and I'm excited to have our guest with us, which is uh, Mike Stable. Mike, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, thanks so much for having me.
3: So, you know, Seed Money um, is a documentary about Chuck Holmes, who is probably, I mean, the biggest, he, he's like the, what I think, uh, the godfather of, you know, filmmaking in the LGBTQ community, but especially in the uh, adult film world, Right.
1: Yes. I mean, he was during his time, and he was sort of the gay Hugh Hefner. He had um, just simply the largest uh, LGBT film company there was, adult or non adult. You know, this was a time where there weren't a lot of images um, of, of gay people, and he was, you know, producing not only the best but the most.
3: And the, the interesting thing about the documentary, and full disclosure, even though you sent me the uh, screener, I didn't have a chance to watch it this morning. <laughs> I should have asked, you know, earlier, because um, I love to be over overly prepared for the documentary. But this is a good thing, because it'll keep me, uh, you know, at, uh, at interest so that I can talk yeah. about it in a way where it'll entice our listeners here today to go and watch it. But the thing about Chuck Holmes, not only was he this successful um Film producer in the uh, being the gay Hugh Hefner, but he did some incredible things for the community as well.
1: He did. He was a major contributor to the human rights campaign, uh, to the Gay and Lesbian Victory Fund, to Emily's List, to the the, the National Eighth uh, Memorial Grove. He was he was a tremendous philanthropist, particularly uh, in the, the the later part of his life um and you know that that was not without controversy
3: mhm exactly um and well I, I you know everyone here in san francisco knows the lgbt center is named after oh, him yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: I forgot about that. That's the most
3: (laughs) (laughs) important No, but, you know, I I wanted to talk about this because the documentary does, um, I know, uh, you know, what interested me was that his wealth, his money, which we just talked about in a philanthropic way, uh, supported the community, but also the White House, which. Yeah. You know, we tend to think those who are, um, you know, th- that uh, recognizes marriage equality, some of us young LGBTQ people think that President Obama, um, you know, is the coolest president ever for giving us marriage equality. But I want to go back and talk about Chuck and his relationship with the White House.
1: Well, I mean, particularly with the, the Clintons, you know, he, Chuck had, Chuck was a great businessman. And he had a sense early on, before he even got involved in politics, that, you know, the films that he was sending out, uh, you know, could have a positive effect, particularly on on young gay men, you know, that they were images that were, you know, aspirational, they were positive, they were happy, they were all of this. So he, you know, throughout his life, he had this sort of idea that he could help make things better. Um, later on, you know, uh, particularly when we were in the midst of the AIDS epidemic, it became really crucial that, uh, we get a democratic president. And at the time we had Ronald Reagan, who was terrible on many fronts, but as far as Chuck was concerned, you know, he, you know, was, I mean, and Ben Bush, I should say afterwards, I can play them, but, um, he was terrible on both AIDS policy and he was prosecuting adult businesses. So Chuck had a real motivation to get involved in the Democratic Party, um, and he, you know, was a top uh, uh, a top funder of, um, of President Bill Clinton's campaign.
3: In speaking of which, you know, I feel like, and this is from a personal observation. I mean that strategy has not changed right where some of us who have been successful uh, as lgbtq people and uh, financially you know have taken our money to go back into the community in ways where we help to elect certain officials that will help us get or achieve uh, you know equality in this case marriage equality and when you talk about human rights the human rights campaign you know chad griffin had an in with rob reiner and which eventually led to you know you know uh, Ted Boys and, or David, uh, o, you know, Ted Olson, David Boys, and all those guys, you know, for Prop 8. Uh, kind of, you know, as a filmmaker and kind of going through this, uh, do you feel that a lot has changed at all?
1: You know, I, there was... The, one of the things that we talk about in the film uh, is the controversy over Chuck's money. Um, you know, and and sort of draw parallels to, you know, previous concerns about gay money in general. You know, Chuck would... Um, he, like I said, he had given top, uh, top, uh, donating. He had donated top levels to Bill Clinton. He had flown out to meet Clinton, um, but at the last minute was sort of pulled out of line. You know, you, you're, we can't be associated with you. And that was something that sort of replicated throughout Chuck's lives in various ways. He would. It was something that terrified him. I think that it was something that made him feel ashamed that, you know, somebody would return a check or someone he would be disinvited to a party or something like that because of what he did for a living. Um, and, you know, a lot of questions that we get, is like, well, you know, has it changed a whole lot? I mean, you brought up the Gay and Lesbian Center in 2002. That was two years after Chuck died. Um, he had given a million dollars to the center and the outrage over that, the fact that his name would be placed on the building that he had given the largest gift was swift and loud. You know, people were very concerned that it would be associated with uh, pornography. You know, it's something that I think that as a community, the, the LGBTQI community is, is um, still quite shy about you know about our about sex as it relates to politics. So people ask a lot of times, well, have things changed? Um, I can't say they have. You know, there are certain places where I see it, but I will tell you that um, when I approached people about the film, you know, that I was making this film, um, and I approached people at at top organizations, um, I got more nervous uh, responses than I did enthusiastic ones. Well, what are you going to say? You know, I don't know that this is good for the cause,
3: mm-hmm.
1: um, you know, and it was just one of those things that was really disheartening because Chuck did something that was really crucial for gay male sexuality, you know, in right. particular. And, and he, um, but I think that we, we have done is we've internalized a lot of the complaints that come from the right, you know, that say, well, you're all about sex, you know, you're just perverts. I think that over time we've taken that in and any time that we deal with something like pornography or sex work or, you know, really sex in general, we tend to shy away, especially if it's a public forum, you know, right. we, we sort of disassociate ourselves. And I think that Chuck had that when he was alive and I've certainly, you know, unfortunately seen that with the, the movie, you know, you get, I, I don't think the center is, is thrilled to, to have it, frankly. <laughs> Um, <laughs> and still, I, I've not gotten a tremendous response from them. <laughs>
3: Oh, uh, I, I, I'm going to respond to that. But first, I uh, want to remind folks who's tuning in. If you're just tuning in, we're speaking to Mike Stable. He's got a movie out Seed Money, which is a story about Chuck Holmes, who built a gay porn empire. But really, it was his political work that, uh, you know, we need to pay attention to, which I think, you know, is obviously a part of, or at the height of, you know, the LGBTQ liberation movement. Um Uh, speaking of gay images, right, I mean, here, I'm going to tell you like a quick, perfect story. When I came out, I wanted to embrace my gayness, including my gay brothers. And so one of the things I did was um, I kind of immersed myself in gay porn and i wanted to see more images of you know gay men and in how they are together sexually i didn't see anything wrong with that but i wanted to get your thoughts on you know kind of the image of gay men what we find is okay and you kind of touched on this you know but uh, through chuck's uh, years i mean what was important to him was to be out to be liberated to to be sexual and it was fine do you do you think that we're somewhat crawling back into a closet and being so afraid of the religious right or yeah,
1: I, I, I do. I mean, I think that one of the things that was always, uh, you know, sort of sad to me about Chuck's story, because um, here was somebody who was a, a massive success. You know, he was friends with David Geffen and Calvin Klein, and, you know, he later on, you know, was, sort of got to know the Clintons a little bit better and sort of lived in Knob Hill and, and you know, a mansion on, on Broadway. You know, it was, he had a yacht and all of these sort of things, and yet when he met people... In high society, when he sort of traveled in that world, he would tell people, they would say, well, what do you do? And he would say, oh, I, um, you know, I do I have a mail order business, you know, or I do videotape replication or something like mm-hmm. that, something to keep him off track, something that sounded uh, boring. And to me, that always seemed like such a sad closet. Like here was somebody who was tremendously successful, um, not just financially, but was really at the top of his game. Um, You know, he really set the the bar for for gay male sexuality and for portrayals of it. And yet, when he was out in public, you know, among straight people or even among, you know, A-list gay people, he would, you know, lie. You know, he Mm -hmm. would say, you know, I do something else. He was sort of ashamed of it. And, um, you know, again, I I think that that is a variety of, uh, of internalized homophobia. It's something that we pick up. Um, from years and years and years of being told that, you know, what we do is dirty or what we do is sick. Right,
3: right. Mike, we have to take a quick break, but when we come back, I'd love to uh, conclude our discussion, especially kind of, you know, your thoughts and what Chuck would think about where we're at right now with our movement. So stick around. Sure. The Michelle Miao Show continues right after this.
0: Ted Olson and David Boyce came here to discuss their winning legal strategy for same-sex marriage. Jason Collins talked about gay athletes. The Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence discussed activism and good works. Actor and director Rob Reiner explained how he got Hollywood behind same-sex marriage. Barney Frank described what it's like to be gay at the highest levels of Washington commonwealthclub.org download our free app in itunes and join us in person the next time you're in san francisco the commonwealth club of california puts you face to face with today's thought leaders and now back to the michelle meow show
3: Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Michelle Miao, your host. On the phone with us is Mike Stable, who's got a film out Seed Money, which is about the life of Chuck Holmes, who was an American adult film producer. But, um, you know, what we should say is most notably a philanthropist. And he's given back and has been a part of, you know, the HIV AIDS community, um, has given to even environmental causes, the Gay Lesbian Victory Fund, and the Human Rights Campaign. (laughs) I mean, that's a lot. Right, Mike?
1: Yeah, I mean, he was, you know, like I said, while he was alive, he was a tremendous donor um, and, and someone who really felt that at the end, you know, at the end of his life, what he wanted to do was have his company run as a nonprofit that would filter money back into the community. You know, that would essentially run it was the, the most successful uh, Gato film company in the world. And, you know, what his, his dream was, was to have it run so that it would continue to operate, but would operate as a nonprofit and that money would be filtered back into the community.
3: Mm-hmm. So I mentioned this before we went on uh, the break, but he didn't live to see, you know, what happened June 26th of this year, which the Supreme Court decision. What do you think would have um, been his feelings if he had lived to experience
1: it? I'm sure he would have loved it. I I, I am. I have no doubt, knowing Chuck's politics, uh, that that would have been, you know, he would have seen that as a tremendous victory. Um, I think that, you know, in the the '90s and you know up until he died in 2000, there was uh, I don't that wasn't really even on the radar. Um, You know, we were much more concerned with. getting, uh, you know, anti-discrimination, getting access to uh, new drugs uh, for HIV AIDS. Um, You know, I think that to have come so quickly to, you know, for him to have seen, you know, where we uh, where we ended up, um, you know, would probably be quite thrilling.
3: And, you know, my uh, question to you, uh, he revolutionized gay porn. I mean, he, like I said earlier, (laughs) was probably the godfather of gay porn um, back in the 70s as the co-founder of Falcon Studios. And I still think that porn is relevant to our community, the the LGBTQ community. And Do you you see that the industry has changed much while working on this film? And, you know, what are those differences and and kind of even is it okay to be critical of each other?
1: I mean, I think that, you know, th- th- that porn certainly changes. You know, I, we, when we were uh, up at the Frameline screening, I had one of Chuck's directors up on stage, uh, and he said, you know, somebody said, well, how does it change? He said, well, you know, he mentioned one of the movies that is in the film. He said, you know, for example, for that, our budget was $500,000, and we shot it over a month in Paris. You know, he said, today, when we shoot a film, he's no longer with Falcon, but he says, you know, today when we shoot a film, the top budget is really about $15,000. You know, there's a tremendous difference. Um, So it has changed in that way. I do think that it remains tremendously important. Um, You know, Chuck was sending out these videos, particularly in in the 70s and 80s, when, as I mentioned, there was no gay representation. You know, you were seeing, you know, perverts and murderers if you were watching movies, if there was a gay, you know, character, or they were sad or depressed, um, or they were comic relief. These were very positive images about what life could be, particularly you know in in San Francisco and California, um I liken them a lot to the the it gets better videos you know they were going out across the country they were reaching people who were in the closet, people who you know were afraid to come out, people who their only access to gay culture was through these videos that that came through so mm-hmm. I think that it is a it is and was a tremendous uh part of of gay culture. I think that if you are, even today, you know, today there's a wider range of images. You know, you can understand if you're in the closet in the Deep South that, you know, people are being portrayed in the media, people are being recognized by the White House and and all of that. Um, So maybe it's not as crucial, but I think that if you're in a world where people tell you that that's sick and that's dirty, seeing two men do it, or two women, uh, for that matter, is... Liberating. I mean, they're enjoying it. They're happy. They're going about it. And, you know, it's, it's the thing that everyone is telling you is the grossest, most disgusting, you know, most mentally defective thing that you can do. And here are these two people who are just loving it. Um, it can't help but be inspirational.
3: Right. Right, I love it, and I, I should mention this by the way: the past screenings and the uh, whole lot of list of <laughs> um, film festivals that this film has been a part of have been sold out. By the way, um, and but you're you you will continue. You have a few more film festivals you've got going on, right?
1: We have. I mean, we've just gotten started, Frank. I mean, we were. You know, we can't announce all of the festivals because they make decisions, but probably over the next year. Um, we will be doing a lot of, uh, you know, it will be sort of across the country and, and nationally, internationally. Um, we are in Buenos Aires tonight, and I, we're in Dublin later this month. And I'm trying to think we've got, uh, you know, we've got the coming up. So look out for it. Um, you know, if you go to chuckholmesdoc.com, we have a list of screenings. Mm-hmm. You can see where it's coming. You can sign up for a newsletter to find out uh, more about you know, when it's coming to your town, but we'll probably be screening, you know, hopefully in another, um, you know, three or four dozen festivals uh, before the end of the year.
3: And wait, Last question for you. I'm hoping that there'll be some distribution, maybe like via Netflix or something like that. Is yeah. that in the plans at all?
1: That is in the plans. You know, with documentaries, there are always different rights clearances sure. for footage, you know, for news footage in particular, uh, and music. So we are working that out now. I have uh, a team of, you know, um, expensive lawyers that are you know, <laughs> great, but, you know, you, you, you always have to sort of do it. So we're looking, we're hoping... We're hoping to have um, some theatrical runs probably in San Francisco, L.A., and New York um, sometime next year, and then move it online. Um, but again, all of that, the best place is, is to go to Chuck Holmstock and, and, and just sign up because it's so hard right now. We're just getting started, and we don't know what the future will bring.
3: Oh, we want it all. Mike, thank you so much <laughs> for joining us here in the program and sharing this with us.
1: Oh, thanks so much for having me. It was terrific.
3: Mike Stable, he's the director of Seed Money. Again, that website to go check out more information is chuckholmesdoc.com. The Michelle Meow Show, uh, I think that's the conclusion of it. I mean, we had two terrific interviews, one with the human rights activists and then with uh, the director of Seed Money. I am really sad that I missed that during Frameline. Right, Jax? I know. I remember watching the trailer,
2: but... I only went to one screening. I only had the chance to go to one screening.
3: Yeah, it was a busy, busy season this year. So so much always happens during Pride. But I love Frameline because it brings out, you know, some incredible stories like this. Uh, The best part about um, LGBTQ films to me right now, the best content are the documentaries because they're like the true lives of all these incredible, brilliant people in our community. And I didn't get a chance to tell Mike this, you know, nor did I probably, you know, wanted to. But um, full disclaimer, I didn't even know that the LGBT center that was named after Chuck, that that was the Chuck, like, you know, the porn legend Chuck. Okay, good. I didn't know either. Right. And, And see, that's the thing is that young people should know, you know, Chuck Holmes and what he did for the LGBT or gay community. I really, even though it's, you know, porn or whatever, I have much respect for the men uh, and women and, you know, many of those in our community who were brave and and had the courage to just be. Like Larry Kramer.
2: Yeah, yeah. And, like, same thing when we did the Larry Kramer interview, talking about... The conditions or the living environment was so different mm-hmm. th- back then.
3: Right. You had to be that loud. I couldn't see. I, th- I say good for Chuck. I mean, you know, that he built that empire. He got in when he did. Um, and he did that for the community because, like I said, it's still relevant. It's not going to go away. I mean, you know, it's it's interesting because in the hetero community, sure, you get some conservative people who even look down on hetero um, porn or porn anybody in the porn industry, Um But it's consumed and if it's consumed and and also produced legally with, you know, adult tastes for adult people, uh, I just don't see what the criticism is all about. So we have a few minutes and while we're on the topic of porn, I have to ask you, I don't know, did you ever enjoy uh, porn?
2: No, I don't. I don't watch porn. I've I've my ex-girlfriend used to get really mad at me and be like, "Well, why don't you watch it?" Like, "It's healthy. Like masturbation's healthy." I was like, "Yeah, I, I agree with that. I just don't ever feel the need to do it." So wait, is porn supposed to be something that you watch yourself? Are you watching it with others? Well, I mean, I think it's however you want to watch it. Um I I thought that you were supposed to
3: watch it with your partner to like spice up the bedroom life. I don't think you're
2: supposed to do anything. I know you're I right. Mean, I mean, d- I I def- I, yeah. that's definitely a thing. Yeah. That's definitely, I know people yeah. that do that, but I am not one of them.
3: So for those who are sticking around to listen to our conclusion, you're in for a treat because I actually have starred in a, uh, a, a type of, uh, I call it a sexual education video.
2: Okay. (laughs) A home video or this was organized?
3: No, it was produced and, um, you know, from the guys at Good Vibrations. What? If you look up Gush, um, a movie Gush, I am in it.
2: So... Acting, or like you were having sex, or
3: what? <laughs> I, it's a cliffhanger. It's the end of the show. I don't know if I have time to tell the story. Um, so yeah, if you if you come across a video called Gush and it's distributed by Good Vibrations and I, I, they have locations all over the Bay Area and uh, I think you know a couple in the East Bay, but it's online. Um, you'll see that the credits include Michelle Miao
2: such a star
3: <laughs> <laughs> so you know if you enjoyed this program and you think that we do you know pretty uh you know great interviews and and we're not horrible people a uh, little do you know that i have been included in a porn
2: this is your reward for listening to
3: the end of the show right <laughs> secrets because <laughs> you never know what you're uh you're gonna get in you get uh, as far as the end goes. but it it is a true story. When I came out, and um, especially when I started my work in media and doing like an LGBT show, I totally, in my mind was like, well, I could not be representational of the community if I were not in tune with, you know, my gay brothers or my trans brothers and sisters, and you know, my bi friends and like, you know, all that stuff. So to be more uh I guess educated with gay issues, gay male issues, I truly did go out and, and into Castro and rented a bunch of uh porn.
2: Wait, you went and rented it? What year is this? Is it on a videotape? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like uh you didn't just
3: I do like Two thousand. Um and and that was you know when Netflix even was delivering DVDs <laughs> <laughs> or mailing. D- I thought that that was high tech, <laughs> which that sounds so silly now.
2: It does, doesn't it?
3: Yeah. And so um, I don't think that sex is bad, and I think the more we say that sex is bad, or you know, and and, and images of our love uh, is bad, like someone who criticized me for you know throwing an anal sex joke uh, that's how men make love gay men um, and and straight people
2: <laughs> it's not bad
3: anyway I'm going to end the show on that note anal sex is good for everybody uh, or not <laughs> whatever for everything else, you can head to MichelleMeow.com. We will be back tomorrow. We're going to play a special Boy Scouts show because congratulations to the Boy Scouts for making the right decision in this, in the, you know, and all that good stuff. All right. Talk to you tomorrow. See ya.